Hello and welcome back to the HSAC podcast. For those of you that don't know, we're the Harvard College Sports Analytics Collective, a group of undergraduate students dedicated to the quantitative and statistical analysis of sports. We break down the numbers and advance metrics behind all your favorite teams and players, trying to bring useful insights to the game. I'm David Arco, a sophomore at Harvard College, and today I'm lucky to be joined by two great guests and fellow HSAC members, Shiv Chandra and Elliot Chin. Shiv is a sophomore studying economics. He has written articles ranking the best quarterbacks, wide receivers, and running backs of the last four decades, and he's a fantasy football junkie as well as a New England Patriots fan. Elliot is a freshman studying statistics. He has written articles about running back utilization and efficiency throughout the league and how teams can better employ schemes for their backs and where to rush the ball, and is a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. On this episode, we will briefly recap the end of the NFL regular season, give our predictions for player awards, preview the opening wildcard matchups, and make our predictions for the playoffs and Super Bowl. This is the NFL's second year in which it has expanded to a 17 playoff in each conference, and the first year in which they played a 17-game regular season. After the conclusion of Week 18, the AFC playoff picture is with the number one seed going down the list from one through seven, the Tennessee Titans, Kansas City Chiefs at number two, the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Las Vegas Raiders, the New England Patriots, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in the NFC, starting with the number one seed, the Green Bay Packers, followed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Los Angeles Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Philadelphia Eagles. So the end of the regular season in football is always interesting, especially in the last two to three weeks. Teams are trying to claw their way into a playoff spot. Other teams are trying to, to hang on and not fall out. Teams are trying to jump the standings list, get a better matchup, a better seating, home field advantage. And in contrast to other sports, you know, like baseball, where there's a 162-game season, the NBA, there's an 82-game season. The kind of playoff picture is already more decided early on, and there's not much movement, save for one or two, three teams the last couple of weeks. In the NFL, there's always a lot of movement in the last couple of weeks of the regular season, and we definitely saw that on display in this year's Week 18 so, yeah, I guess the good way to start off our discussion leading into the playoffs is what were some surprising things kind of at the regular season, maybe something specific to week 18, some, you know, just surprising things, either teams that made it into the playoffs, teams that, that dropped out that you were expecting, or teams that kind of rised in the standings list to get a better seating that got hot at the right time, some pivotal regular season um, finale games. The big surprise for me was the Steelers making it to the playoffs. I don't think many people all expected that to happen, especially with the Colts being able to, to control their own destiny and be in with a win. Uh, after their loss, which I think was quite surprising to a lot of people and just statistically unlikely, the Steelers even then weren't in the clear because of that high possibility for Raiders-Chargers tie, which was quite surprising. At the end of overtime, if the Chargers didn't take that time out, there was a high probability that would have ended up in a tie and the Steelers would be out. Um, so definitely the Steelers being in, just from the, the statistical probability side of things, as well as just the idea of the Steelers as a kind of mediocre team this year making it into playoffs, that was definitely quite surprising to me. First, obviously, like like Elliot said, just like an absolutely insane like last game, absolute insanity between the whole like the game itself was obviously crazy. The Chargers coming back from more than fourteen points down in the fourth quarter, Justin Herbert just doing like he was six of six for like over 100 yards on fourth down i saw a stat that said this season 
that one drive counted for where he had like five of them, I think. Fourth down conversions of fourth and nine or more accounted for like 20% of those types of plays for the entire season, which is just like absolutely asinine. I would have to agree with Elliot. The whole day with the Colts losing, the Jaguars beating the Colts, then the Raiders and Chargers hold tie potential. Then they also obviously had to beat the Ravens, which was not a shoe-in at all, even with Tyler Huntley playing. I think they came in the day with like a statistical probability around 10% of getting to the playoffs. And that doesn't even include like the past four or five weeks, them winning games that they probably shouldn't have. I mean, we're all hitting on, I think this might, a lot of times you, you complain about an error, but this I actually think was like probably the craziest week, final week in the regular season that I can remember in a long time where a lot of things happened. I, I just checked, I think that the Steelers, nobody was expecting going into the weekend, 538 gave them a 6% chance going into the final game. So they had to wow. beat the Ravens. They were probably under slight underdogs in that game. Then they have to have the and Raiders and Chargers not in tie, and then the Colts also lose to the Jaguars. But I think some people will be happy to see Ben Roethlisberger in the playoffs, although that will probably be a blowout. We'll get into that later. Probably the three games with the biggest playoff implications. So I'm so I think the four key games of the weekend, which we've kind of already hit on, was Colts versus Jaguars. That was a win, and in, they lost. And there was an interesting thing that I think the Colts have not beaten the Jaguars in Jacksonville since in six or something years, even though yeah, the Jaguars have been. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something like some huge percentage of the Jaguars' wins over the past two seasons have been against the Colts. Like, I, I believe the Jaguars have more wins or equal amounts of wins against the Colts in the past couple of years as they do against everyone else. It, it's not like it was a bunch of like crazy fluke plays, like insane, weird plays that just completely tilted the game. The Colts just completely crapped the bed. The whole, I'm like, obviously, Carson Wentz did not play well. That's what he was brought to Indianapolis to do. But it was a whole team collapse. And the Jaguars played by far their best game of the season. Like it wasn't even close. Trevor Lawrence was making like plays that actually actually showed why he was the number one pick when he hasn't really been doing that much all season. So that was obviously shocking. But I would agree with you, David. The A lot of people were questioning how this week I think was going to go. I, just like NFL Twitter and stuff was kind of saying like, oh, there's only one or two meaningful games. Like the NFL did this whole expansion of this regular season and uh, expansion of the playoffs just to have like one or two meaningful games in this week 18, but it ended up being a crazy week. So, yeah. And it all kind of worked out like timing wise too. I think the other, so the Colts Jaguars is one and the other three, I think key ones were the Steelers Ravens, then Rams 49ers. That was also a kind of winning in game. And then Raiders, Chargers, and then all three of those games went to overtime. Pretty crazy. I was pretty surprised by the result of Rams 49ers. I know statistically, coming into week 18, the 49ers had like a greater than 50% chance of making it to the playoffs. But that depended on one of two underdogs winning, either the 49ers against the Rams or the Falcons against the Saints. I mean, when you combine the conditional probabilities like that, it ends up being more than 50%. But it also means that no matter what happens in that week, because it's a combination of a bunch of um, underdogs having to win, if the 49ers do get in, which is the most likely scenario, you're going to have some sort of underdog beating the favor, which I think just lends itself to exciting football. And that's definitely what we got with the 49ers Rams. I mean, that was a game that even potentially could have ended in a tie, which would also have pretty interesting implications. I think overall, just with Jimmy G having his injured hand, that was definitely a surprising game to me to see that the 49ers were able to eke out yet another win over the Rams. 
Yeah. And they got down early in that game, 17, three or something. Yeah. I think yeah. being from LA, my, my younger brother was at the game, but, but yeah, I'm sure we'll get into talking about the 49ers a little bit more. And I know you're a 49ers fan. So you're probably our 49ers expert, Elliot. We'll get into this later, but there's two types of in general. And when you're talking about wild card teams on the outside, there's the scary teams that are better than they might be. And then there's other teams that like, we're not afraid to play them. They won't be that strong. And there's pretty, then this year it's kind of a pretty clear breakdown as to where those like fringe playoff teams are. Like you want to play them, you don't want to play them. But we'll get into that later when we start talking about specific playoff matchups. Yeah, I think now we can kind of talk about some some key games. Now we can kind of just wrap up the regular season from a player perspective. I know in our last episode, we talked about some of the most impressive players so far, but now since the season's officially over and the stats sheet is it's sealed, uh, we can make our predictions for the postseason awards. Some of these are, are kind of obvious, so we'll kind of get into maybe a bit of a deeper discussion, but I guess a good one to start is just with the uh, rookie of the year. So we'll go offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Who do you guys have? Probably similar answers, but yeah. Offensive rookie of the year is a little bit more of an interesting discussion. So I would say Jamar Chase. I think that the past couple games kind of just made that run away. I mean, he had like 266 yards the other game, three touchdowns. Like I, I think that game really sealed it for him. It helps that Mac hasn't really been playing all that well only one sleeper I would like to bring up is uh Jalen Waddle I don't think he's been getting as much hype just because he plays on the Dolphins <laughs> but he's had he just broke the record for the most catches as a rookie ever and also had over a thousand yards this season as a rookie which is pretty impressive I totally agree with you on that I think it should be Jamar Chase's award Definitely, this is one of the, the awards that is definitely has the most variance in terms of Vegas odds. Mac Jones definitely has a decent chance at it. I believe he's like plus a couple hundred or, or something along those lines. But personally, I think that that kind of stems from chronic overweighting of quarterback play, just in terms of awards in general. Like what Jamar Chase has done, especially these past few weeks, as you mentioned, has been a historic end to a very solid rookie season. I think he definitely deserves the award. I agree with both of you guys. I just want to add, like a receiver hasn't won since 2014. That was Odell Beckham Jr. And it's typically either a quarterback and then the second most popular position would be like a running back because they're kind of able to make an impact. We see rookie running backs, you know, they're fresh. They're able to make an impact right away. And quarterback is just the most important position. But receiver is definitely one of the ones that is not as common to win either player of the year, rookie of the year. But on the defensive end, I think this might be the most Betting-wise, I think with the markets, this is probably the most unanimous decision. And so there's not much discussion, but Michael Parsons, I think yep. I just checked right now, he's minus 10,000 10, to win. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's going to be unanimous. And if anyone votes against him, they're just like mad at Cowboys. Probably some Eagles Eagles former player or something like who, who's voting. Like he's, he's literally in a discussion for MVP defensive player of the year. And I think rookie of the year is a lock. Yeah, we'll get into that. But I think he's like number two right now for defensive player of the year. So I guess with that, yeah, let's do defensive player of the year. I personally think it should be Micah Parsons, considering how much he can do on the defensive end. Like TJ Watt is probably the betting favorite with the 22 and a half sacks, like should definitely be. I think he probably will win it because of the 22 and a half sack tying the record. But I think if you're like an offensive coach, you probably have to game plan and just be more aware 
of what Micah Parsons is doing at any given moment because not only can he pass rush like as one of the best pass rushers in the league already, he's also a great linebacker in coverage on either tight ends, running backs, and can just like completely screw up your play, run, pass, whatever. I think TJ Watt is much more of a pure pass rushing, huge threat, obviously, and I think very important to the team. But like there were so many games where Micah Parsons was strip sack interception like completely wrecking games and completely changing games for the, the Cowboys I think the debate between Micah Parsons and, and TJ Watt is probably should be closer than what the betting odds indicate but personally I'm partial to TJ Watt tying the single season sack record is just insane even though he had an extra game to do it that's just something that you got to award him for I mean each of those sacks sacks are basically like mini turnovers and that's just an insane impact on the game to have on average more than one of those every single game I definitely think it's very interesting and very compelling to have a player like Micah Parsons who can kind of play multiple different positions and affect the game in many different ways. At the end of the day, of all the different positions, defensive end on the defensive side is kind of the most valuable. TJ Watt's definitely less flexible and versatile, but in terms of sheer impact on the game, him and his his insane number of sacks come up on top. That's a great point. I think you made at the end there really about um, versatility versus impact and I think with defense versus offense and trying to quantify is there's there's less metrics, I guess, for defense. I guess it's a more offense. Like, you know, there's a lot more different metrics for offense and kind of those metrics have room for more separation. Like a quarterback, there's so many different levels of yards, whereas what really separates a 22, well, that's a great, that's a bad example. That's extreme outlier, but like a what really separates an 11 sack player versus a eight sack player. It's a big magnitude of percentage wise, but it's really hard to kind of quantify the difference. And these are kind of, like I think like an interception or like a fumble could kind of be like a, a fluky, more chancy thing. And these are kind of the main stats that we have to pinpoint defensive performance and, and assign credit and blame. It's harder to compare, but yeah, it was just an interesting thought. Yeah. Moving then we can talk about uh, offensive player of the year. So this is the non-quarterback MVP. This either goes to Cooper cup or Jonathan Taylor. Cooper Cup was the most consistent throughout the year. Jonathan Taylor, I think the last couple of games, especially this last game against the Jaguars, just like couldn't really do much. But I think it should go to Cooper Cup. He should get a little bit more respect in the uh, MVP conversation, which we'll talk about. Even with the 17 games, he almost broke the record for both catches and yards in a single season, which is like, it's not like Michael Thomas's like dink and duck catches that he had a couple of years ago. Once Robert Woods got hurt, Obviously, he had Odell, but it's not like they had a crazy run game or anything the whole year. Like Their job was to stop Cooper Cup the whole year, and they couldn't. I totally agree. I think Taylor's definitely enticing as well, but what Cup has done this season is just, I think, almost unprecedented. And I totally agree that he should be in the conversation for MVP as well. I think going back to what we talked about for offensive rookie of the year, I think just wide receivers in general are pretty underrated. They definitely don't have the same impact as quarterbacks do. But after quarterback on the offensive side, I believe they're second most valuable skill position player in terms of impact on the game. Definitely less replaceable than running backs. Over 1,900 yards over the course of a season is just an insane number. More than 100 per game. That's a huge game-changing impact that Cooper Cup has had pretty much every single week. He definitely deserves to be recognized for that for offensive player of the year, if not MVP. Right now, they're both at minus 110. So this is, I think, probably the closest of all the awards and like probably has the most it's a two horse race between like we mentioned. But yeah, I think an interesting thing 
in a sport like football where there's different interactions, it's hard to assign credit and blame. You know, the, the whole analytics revolution is running backs really matter a lot. It's more the functional offensive line and different things like that. They take with what they're given. It's trying to figure out how much is Jonathan Taylor really him or other things. It, it probably is a lot him, but I think that there's a lot more that Cooper Cup has like created for himself. More, there's more credit that you can assign just personally to him rather than Jonathan Taylor, who is a function of a bunch of different pieces coming together. I will say it in one defense argument of Jonathan Taylor that the separation from his peers, like I was reading in something about this other day, like the difference between like total amount of yards, maybe there was another stat between him and, and second place. Um, trying to remember who second was, maybe Nick Chubb, I'm not sure, but the difference between like yards and is so much more than it is between Cooper Cup and the second most receiver, Justin Jefferson, but that could be a nature of, you know, he's a running back. He gets so many touches, a receiver doesn't get the ball as much, but that is one argument I will say in defense of Jonathan Taylor is the separation with his peers is a lot more, but I would still vote for Cooper cup. I think that's definitely an an important point seeing if running backs are truly good, if they're just a product of like a very strong offensive line. Um, One of the things I like to do is compare their stats to their teammates um, so Jonathan Taylor has been averaging 5.5 yards per attempt, which is quite good. The Colts RB2, Hines, has been averaging 4.9. Worse than Taylor's, but also quite good. and indicates that replacement level running back like Hines, who is certainly good, but not fantastic, can do a pretty solid job behind the Colts offensive line. Again, not really at Jonathan Taylor's level. Of course, he's had like a very, very strong season, but can do a pretty good job behind the Colts offensive line. I think that indicates that Taylor has definitely had a lot of help um, in terms of achieving the things that he has through his running. And if you look at just past rushers for the past decade or so, and look at kind of the second best rusher on their team, I think oftentimes you do see similar trends in terms of running backs are often more product of their offensive lines than the other way around. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think, so we have two more left, so we'll save MVP for last. So yeah, so coach of the year, whereas I think, Offensive player of the year is the most competitive and it's a two horse race. Coach of the year is also very competitive and it's, this is how it is every year. It's kind of more open yeah. to interpretation. So yeah, I'm curious who you're taking for coach of the year. I actually struggled with this one a lot. I think it should go to LaFleur. I think this is kind of a, more of a storyline accumulation of years thing. All of the absolute like storm for media that he's had to deal with this year, but basically all from Aaron Rodgers, whether it was, earlier in the season, whether it was his vaccination stuff, having to deal with all of that and still being number one seed with, I think, a much, much less talented team than probably any team other than the Eagles in the NFC playoff picture right now. For them to be the number one seed and have 13 wins like the past three seasons under LaFleur, I think is just the perfect storm for him to win it this year. I think Belichick has kind of close behind but after the past few games I don't know if that is going to keep up the momentum from that I think Zach Taylor definitely uh, should get a look with the Bengals I don't think anyone expected them to be there Mike Vrabel there's a lot of obviously Nick Sirianni also as a first-year coach taking the Eagles to the playoffs without with not a lot of people thinking that was going to be the case so yeah but I think I think LaFleur is going to win it I think just the past few years combined is is going to make him win that I think LaFleur and Taylor, definitely the front runners, Vrabel as well. Personally, I, I don't think Bill Belichick really has much of a shot. There's definitely some fatigue in terms of voters. I mean, he's done wonderfully with a rookie quarterback, but just given his history, it, 
it doesn't really compare to the times in the past that he's won coach of the year. Personally, for me, I think my kind of Hail Mary opinion in terms of coach of the year would be Cliff Kingsbury, who I think will he actually win it? Probably a very low probability, but I think he deserves a lot more praise than he's getting right now. It's tough given that the Cardinals, they've definitely kind of gone through a slump the past few weeks, but the start of the season was really quite impressive. And that's something that by the end of the season, oftentimes voters begin to forget. But what he's done in terms of bringing the air raid offense and transitioning it to the NFL, I think is really impressive to go from a coach that at the beginning of the season, people were discussing, you know, if he doesn't do well this season, then he might get fired. Taking his team undefeated for almost half the season and getting a solid spot in the playoffs, the Cardinals will probably do quite well in the playoffs, um, is really impressive to me. He doesn't really have um, the same storyline as some, some of these other coaches. Definitely isn't dealing with, you know, the types of scandals like Aaron Rodgers' vaccination status and all of that. But kind of in the background, um, even after they faded away from their undefeated start, the Cardinals have continued to be a solid team using a concept that's pretty novel in the NFL that Cliff Kingsbury um, has kind of established. And I think it's pretty impressive that he's shown that you can be effective with that type of play style. And it's also validated a lot of the pretty questionable decisions that he's made um, throughout his tenure, like exchanging Josh Rosen for Kyler Murray. I think this year is the year that we finally see those decisions coming to light and seeing they actually were quite effective. Yeah, I think coaching is hard to assess sometimes because a lot of things happen to get to your end and record and there's a lot of things coming together. So it's hard to, I guess, assess the things I tend to look at is just like which teams overperformed expectations. You can just look at their original projected win totals and then just looking at a talent basis on their roster and if teams overperform what they should be, which is kind of going back to overperforming their expected records. So, yeah, I think I agree with a lot of the people who said I tend to, Matt LaFleur has a great quarterback. The team might not be as strong around, but I would discount him a little bit. So I like more candidates like Mike Vrabel, or uh, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, who don't have as much talent in place, or if you're dealing with an injury to your star running back in and, and that way. But I think we've kind of exhausted that discussion. And we can move on to the final award, which is MVP. What are your guys' thoughts on who should get MVP? I think it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. MVP is, I mean, almost always a quarterback. There's not really a running back who can pose a big challenge to that. So I believe it's going to end up being a quarterback, even though I think Cup should definitely be in, in the discussion. And of quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers is really the only one who has consistently performed um, at a high level throughout the year through his toe injury. I wouldn't necessarily call it an incredibly surprising or spectacular season by Rodgers. I think it's just been a solid performance where he's continued to play at or near his best for the whole season. And given that there's no upstart like Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, who's just absolutely lighting the league on fire, uh, there's no one else who I can really see voters throwing a lot of votes towards. Tom Brady might catch a few. Joe Burrow could catch a few. Uh, but really, Aaron Rodgers has been the most consistent. And it, I mean, it's shown with the results and with the Packers' um, ultimate seeding. So I think for that, he'll win the MVP. I agree with everything you said. I think, I feel like the past few years, the MVP has been like some crazy upstart. Like you said, I think if Joe Burrow had been playing like this the whole year, I think that he probably would have had a better chance. And I think Brady earlier in the season was on fire was, I mean, he, he has like over 4,500 yards and like over 40 touchdowns as a 44 year old, which is like absurd, but he's playing with way better weapons than Rogers is. And Rogers in the past seven games is 
20 and oh touchdown to interception ratio which is just like like what are we doing here like like what are we doing here and like you know that's like when all teams are trying to make their playoff push everything i mean he's just been absolutely ridiculous the past couple months if you take out his first week against the saints which he hadn't practiced all summer which you know that's that's his problem but if you take that out which he had two interceptions he's had only two interceptions the entire season outside of that so I think like a 37 to four overall touchdown interception ratio is crazy. And I think, I think you're right. He's going to win it. You, you mentioned the, the lack of weapons that he has. I think it's really impressive how he's turned guys like Lazard and Tonya into, I mean, previously multiple years ago, I remember just hearing them on the fringe of conversation, perhaps for like dynasty fantasy leagues. It's like, oh, Aaron Rodgers said something good about this receiver who really is not getting any looks now. And he's taken these guys, and now they're like core parts of the team, putting up yards and touchdowns every single week. And I think that's kind of a testament to the fact that Rodgers likes to kind of have control of his football team. and That's definitely caused a lot of clashes in the past with previous coaches. But also when it does work out, when he gets a coach that he gets along with, like LeFleur, um, he's able to pick and choose uh, his receivers and help develop them. He can be wildly successful. Yeah, nothing, nothing that here. I think Rodgers will win. And just looking things up, he'll be the first back-to-back MVP since Peyton Manning in two thousand, yeah, eight in two thousand nine. And then if he wins this year, he will pass Tom Brady. Tom Brady has three MVPs now. Have four. He'll never pass Super Bowls. We know that. If he wins this year, he will pass Tom Brady for MVPs. Sorry, Shiv. Yeah, <laughs> I I do think it is worth mentioning that I think like. Michael Parsons has had like I think what is worth mentioning is the fact that even with all these like no insanely great seasons there's like basically no mention of a defensive player like even TJ Watt just broke the sack record Michael Parsons is like probably the best defensive rookie since like Lawrence Taylor and it's just like did not a chance that they win MVP yeah for a defensive player to win the MVP I think it won't just need a spectacular season by the defensive player, I think it's going to need no quarterback to really stand out for the pack because quarterback is the default. And then if there's nothing there, then maybe others will start looking elsewhere. I'm looking at uh, Lawrence Taylor won MVP in 1986. That was the last defensive player to win. Yep. There's been a couple, but he was the last one. There's been two or three. Anyway. Yeah, so I think now we can kind of jump into a discussion about the specific matchups and the wild card matchups. So we're each going to go kind of matchup by matchup and give kind of our, our thoughts on the game. A good place to start is with the AFC. We can start with the Chiefs playing the Steelers. There's really nothing much interesting about this game. It's probably the most lopsided wild card game. Definitely, I think you have probably the strongest team in the AFC. A lot of people think is the Chiefs. I agree with a weaker team in the Steelers who was not, like we discussed earlier, probably not going to get in. I think the Chargers who didn't make it would be more scary. Even some other teams on the outside, like a Ravens without Lamar Jackson would be, would be more scary. I think the Chiefs will win. And the spread right now is 12 and a half points. It should be a pretty lopsided contest. So hopefully there could be something shocking. It'll be fun to watch. I think it's a good one to still watch because it, it's probably Ben Roethlisberger's final game and to kind of see how he goes out. Can he keep it somewhat close? So still some definitely watchability with Mahomes and Ben Roethlisberger, but not probably don't expect that to be a very competitive one because it was just a blowout a couple of weeks ago in the regular season. Oh, something I'll add, I guess, is that I think all these matchups have been happened before in the regular season, except for Cowboys 49ers. So we've seen all these matchups before, but 
I don't know if that's normally how it is, but just something interesting. I'll hand it, uh, Shiv, you can talk about the Bills and your your Patriots. Yeah, I, uh, I actually I heard the same thing. And I, I think that's like not super normal that like almost all the playoff matches are rematches, which I think will just make it even more interesting. Speaking of Bills, Patriots, interdivision, or sorry, intradivision, Bills, Patriots have already played twice this season, split. I think it's going to be a very good game. I think it's going to be close. This kind of comes down to, can the Patriots figure out a way to stop Josh Allen? Because the last time they played, it was like they were throwing perfect defenses at him. They had a healthy defense. Like they were doing everything they possibly could. And Josh Allen was just like lights out. That's actually another one that Josh Allen doesn't get enough respect for like MVP conversations and stuff. He like, he's a one man show on offense right now. They don't have much of a run game outside of digs. They're not doing much. I mean, he made against the Patriots last time they played made Isaiah McKenzie look like a Hall of Famer. I think Bills win this. I think it'll be close, but uh, it's supposed to be like 10 degrees and a 60% chance of snow or something for this game, which could be in the Patriots' favor, which would be huge because that that could make it a running game. I think the Bills will take the hint from the first season, the first game of the season and realize that it doesn't matter if there's 35-mile-an-hour wins. Josh Allen can still just like chuck a freezing ball 40 yards into a basket so i think bills take that one it pains me to say it but i think it'll be really close yeah i was also while you were talking i was looking at the weather forecast for buffalo yeah i guess that leaves the last afc matchup which is the Bengals as a four seed playing the now five seed uh raiders i honestly see this close to as uninteresting as the Chiefs steelers i think that the spread is only a touchdown Unless something's still wrong with Joe Burrow's knee, which it seems like it's just kind of sore. He got a he got a bad hit in that uh, Chiefs game on like the last possession. I think the Bengals are just vastly more talented. The Raiders, really great story. Last four games, not going to lie. I called both of these teams in the last podcast a month ago. We're going to be in the playoffs. No big deal. It's fine. But I think like the Raiders are kind of a Cinderella story this season after all the stuff that they've gone through just getting into the playoffs is, is really, I mean, people forgot like Henry Ruggs got into a DUI kicked off the team. John Gruden got kicked out of the NFL. John Madden died. There's just been a lot of stuff that has happened in the past six, seven weeks still managed. They won the past four weeks when they needed to, they looked, they looked really good against the chargers in a lot of ways. I mean, they were up over two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but I really think the Bengals think have a uh, honestly a decent shot at the Super Bowl, which is is kind of crazy to say if if we'd been talking about this this summer. But uh, I I don't think it's gonna be close. I think the Bengals' offense is just gonna be way too much. Yeah, I agree. Before we get to the NFC, I just yeah, I'm short on the Raiders. I, they're saw, but they're a very weak five seed. They played the Bengals earlier in the regular season. The score was, I'm just looking up, 32-13. The Bengals killed them. And I just looked at the Raiders' season. They had four overtime games this season. They won all four overtime games. And they might be the luckiest team to get in. When they ever they've played like a good team, they've gotten blown out. So another thing people were saying about the whole tie controversy, like the Raiders and the Chargers, oh, they should just go for a tie. But they were kind of ignoring the fact of matchups because if the Raiders had lost, they would have been the number seven seed. Or if the Raiders had tied, it would have been, I think, the seven. The seven yeah, season. and they would have played the Chiefs. You know, yeah. absolutely manhandled. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, now with the five seed, they play the Bengals. They also got manhandled, but you'd much rather play the Bengals than the Chiefs. So there definitely was a reason for them to go out and win that game. And the Bengals also probably lucked out playing the Raiders instead of the Chargers because the Bengals lost to the Chargers. At, yeah, 41-22 back in the regular season. So they kind of also lucked out. And the Chargers, I think, are a more scary team than the Raiders. Maybe a little more inconsistent, but definitely more scary because of their offense. So it's weird. The Bengals lucked out because now they're playing the Raiders. The Raiders lucked out because they're not playing the Chiefs. So both teams lucked out, but I think the Bengals will win. Yeah, anyway. Patriots did not luck out because uh, I yeah. think the Patriots would have been a much better matchup with the Bengals than the Bills. I think playing the Bills a third time this season is just going to be terrifying for both sides, honestly. And I think playing the Bengals, we have the corners uh, as long as the Patriots defense was healthy. And I think Belichick would have come up with something to screw up Zach Taylor's game plans and his offense and their defense isn't anything crazy. I think Mac Jones could have had a pretty productive day against them much more easily than the Bills. Well, you just had to beat the Dolphins. And yeah, well, you can never ask for the Patriots to beat the Dolphins in Miami late in the season. I think they're like 0-4 the past four years and like 2-7 and in the past nine years under Belichick in Miami at the end of the season, which is just like, again, what are we doing here? That's bad, but not Colts-Jaguars bad. That's true. That's true. But yeah. Anyway, with that, I think we can move on to the NFC. So I guess I can take this first two-seed versus seven-seed matchup. It's Buccaneers- versus the Eagles, probably the second heaviest mismatch of wildcard weekend after Chiefs Steelers. The spread right now is kind of eight and a half points. Yeah, I guess the only thing is Tom Brady's maybe missing one or two. They might get, they're getting one of their running backs back, I think. Yeah, but good to see the Eagles outperform their expectations, but I don't think this is that interesting. But it will be good to see how the Buccaneers look heading into future weekends if they kill the eagles that's much different than if they squeak by the eagles so that's kind of the only interesting thing about this game next matchup ellie you can talk about this one the cowboys against your 49ers yeah so we have the 49ers going to dallas i mean i think this is going to be a really close game which i'm glad is reflected in the spread it's a spread of only three points and i think public perception of, of this game might be that it's a bit more lopsided than it actually is dallas Definitely seems like it's been a really strong team all season. They have a 12 and 5 record and they've been really beating up on bad teams. And they absolutely demolished the Eagles last week. But really, when you look at kind of their strength of schedule, it's actually second easiest in the league. Um, and if you go through the teams that they've been beating the past few weeks, except for the Eagles, um, which are, are barely a playoff team, they're beating up on, you know, the football team and the Giants and a bunch of bad teams that aren't even in the playoffs. That's really boosted public perception of the Cowboys and made them seem a lot better than they actually are. You have to go back to, I think, October before they beat a team that's actually in the playoffs now that isn't the Eagles, um, which kind of makes them a bit of an unknown quantity in terms of how they perform against good teams. Generally, they perform really well against teams that are not so great and they, they win by a lot, but they either lose close games or sometimes even lose by a lot against teams that are now in the playoffs. So because of that, I think that has the potential to make this a really close game between the Cowboys and the Niners. Ultimately, I think it all comes down to how well Jimmy Garoppolo performs. He still has his injured throwing hand, even though he was able to tough it out for the Rams game. And if he's able to perform well, then I think the 49ers come out ahead. Um, they're very streaky, as shown by their game against the Texans and the Rams. They I mean, did horribly in the first half and came back in the second half. It all kind of comes down to, is Jimmy Garoppolo prepared enough? Will he be able to avoid throwing 
bad picks against the Cowboys. I think Micah Parsons um, is a huge threat just over the middle because that's where Jimmy Garoppolo loves to throw picks. I think at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a very close 49ers win, but really could go either way because to me, it all comes down to Jimmy G. I think Cowboys 49ers is probably the most competitive matchup. I think spread-wise, it's the tightest spread, yeah. And 538 has it as the closest one. I think the the Cowboys 69% chance to win, 49ers 31. The other competitive ones that they have, like we talked about, Bills, Patriots, and now the Rams and Cardinals. So yeah, I guess now, Elliot, you can talk about the other, an all-NFC West matchup. Yeah, so we have another interdivisional matchup, um, similar to Bills, Patriots. And I think this one is going to be really interesting because the Rams and Cardinals split the series 1-1, and they actually both won the away game, which I guess is good news to Cardinals fans because they're going to Los Angeles on to play against the Rams. I think this is another one that could go either way. The Rams have been a little inconsistent. They beat good teams, but they also lose to teams that they're pretty big favorites against, like the 49ers. Ultimately, again, the Cardinals... I think have a really great system put together. And I think a key question to this playoff game and really Cardinals playoff hopes in general is the question of why have they begun to falter in the second half of the season? I mean, they were probably front runners for the Super Bowl, honestly, for the first half of the season when they were going undefeated. And now they've really stagnated quite a bit. They're still a very solid team and they think they're going to put up a fight against the Rams. But the outcome of this game, I think, depends on why that stagnation has kind of happened. Is it just a phase of bad luck because the NFL has so much variance? Is it teams are starting to figure out this air raid system Cliff Kingsbury has put together? Is it the absence of Hopkins? If it is that, will he be back for this wildcard game? And my personal opinion is that he's probably not going to be back. I mean, when you take all that confluence of factors together, I think it provides a, a lot of variance in terms of the many different ways that this game could go. Personally, I think that this spell of games, which has not even really been that bad, the Cardinals have been winning some tough games and they've been losing some games that they should not be winning. I think that they'll be able to pull through against the Rams just because the Rams as well have been kind of inconsistent throughout the season. Because of that, because they're honestly, in my opinion, so evenly matched, I think that the Cardinals will be able to uh, sweep out a win. I agree that it's going to come down to whether the Cardinals can figure out their offense because like their offensive pass few games really since Hopkins has left hasn't been able to get anything really going down the field they've been like really short passes uh whether they can get Christian Kirk and uh, AJ Green like big plays because you know there's going to be big plays from the Rams to Cooper Cup to OBJ Van Jefferson Tyler Higbee they've got their arsenal on offense Cam Akers actually should also be back in the backfield for the Rams I see this being a close game also but I see it more being a close game, not because of the talent-wise. I just think that Matthew Stafford is going to make some dumb mistakes, but I still think that their talent on the Rams is just way too much to overcome that. They've been playing like, especially Matthew Stafford has been playing very, very mistake-prone football the past couple of weeks, past like second half of the season, really, and still they've won almost every game. So I think just their talent on offense can uh, overcome it. If he can just keep it under two interceptions, basically. I think that the Rams win that game. It's actually very interesting to look at the progression of quarterbacks and Rashad McVay. Whether it's Jared Goff or Matthew Stafford, they usually start out the season really well, and then they begin to decline until they're about playing average by the end of the season to playoffs. And I think, like you mentioned, that's definitely what we're seeing with Matthew Stafford. I um, mean, that's one of the reasons I would 
give a vote of confidence to the Cardinals. Uh, like you mentioned, Hopkins being out is definitely going to be a big hit. But on the Rams side, I don't think all this talent necessarily is going to translate to on-the-field results. Akers coming back, personally, I think won't have that big of an effect. I'm of the opinion that Akers' success last season was pretty much due to the Rams' offensive line and, and general offensive prowess because actually Henderson and um, I forget who Akers' other backup was, but they both were rushing just as well as Akers um, in aggregate. And then OBJ, again, a great addition. He's finally beginning to make key plays. I just don't believe that he's truly integrated in the team well enough to be that key difference maker in the playoffs. We'll see that next week. We'll see what actually happened. But I think it's a, a lot to ask to have all these different pieces of the puzzle come together um, to one cohesive team so fast. Yeah, I know, Ali, you wrote that article about running back and running back usage and looking at which running backs are truly good on their own versus a function of team. So I'd encourage you guys to check out that article. It's actually really interesting. Yeah, I guess before we wrap up the wildcard preview, I guess we can all just go around and just, what's your matchup to watch? So for me, I like the Rams and the Cardinals. That's probably my most exciting one. Definitely Cowboys Niners for me. I think it's going to be a very close game. Could go into overtime. That'll just be an exciting matchup to watch. I agree with Elliot that Cowboys and 49ers is going to be really interesting. I think the 49ers pull out the win there also. But I think that obviously another homer pick, but I think that the most interesting one is going to be the Patriots-Bills just because I want to see what Belichick can cook up for for Josh Allen in the playoffs. You know, you've seen him twice this season. You've seen him a couple, a lot of times the past few years. Um, and I think it's going to be really, really close, come down to the end, muck it out football game. I don't think it's going to be pretty at all and see if the Patriots can get back to running the ball like they were in the uh, first half of the season, get Mac Jones some some confidence early on to, to make some big plays. Well, I think that wraps it up for the wild card. Now we kind of transition to the bigger picture. Obviously, we can't talk about matchups later on because a lot depends on what happens this weekend. We shuffling seeds, different things like that. But I think something fun that we like to do with different playoff previews, we did this with our NBA preview, is kind of have a survivor pool kind of. So we each get to draft our own teams. And so we'll go around and I'll generate a random draft order and then we'll go around and each pick a team. You can kind of give like a brief, you're not just picking teams to win. So we'll, we'll revisit this, our predictions right before the Super Bowl, And uh, the scoring system basically is a point for each round. So one point if they win the wild card and if they have a buy, you get that. It's a free point that counts. They don't, they don't get penalized for having a buy. So reaching the divisional is one, reaching the conference championship is two, reaching the Super Bowl is three, winning the Super Bowl is four. All right. So yeah, there's 14 teams. So I guess sadly two teams won't be picked because we have three, three people here, but yeah, sorry. I'll generate a random number for the draft order. I'm picking third. Shiv's picking first. That means Elliot's picking second. Okay, so yeah, with the first pick, Shiv, who who are you going to take of the available 14 playoff teams? Okay, if buys don't hurt the team, I think I will take Packers first. I just think the first-round buy is huge, and they're a team that doesn't make mistakes, and playing in Lambeau in January is going to be hard. And I think Aaron Rodgers is extra motivated to win the Super Bowl win the MVP this year just to shut the haters down. And Elliot with the second pick. Yeah, I'm with you on the importance of buys. I 
I'm going to pick the Titans. I think they're not necessarily the best team in the AFC. That distinction probably goes to the Chiefs. I think the importance of having a bye is hard to understate. It's not just the free one point in the first round, but it basically adds about 50% to the chance of reaching each subsequent round. Um, because I think as we've seen in many past playoffs, just the ability to have like a free playoff loss is actually quite high. It happens all the time. Even the, the past two years of the Chiefs reaching the Super Bowl, either winning or losing the Super Bowl, they've had many chances um, before they get to the Super Bowl where they almost lose. For example, that game against the Texans, which was really close. So because of that, I'm picking the Titans, not solely because of the bye. That's the main reason. Um, but also I think Derrick Henry is going to be back. And once he's back, I think Ray Bull's just going to be able to put all, all the pieces together. Um, I think that they're going to go far. Yeah, I remember Elliot back when we did our, our last episode, You that was your pick and now looks pretty good. If I pick second, I honestly, I would pick the Packers first and then I actually probably would have picked the Chiefs second. So now I'll pick the Chiefs third. Uh, I do think they're the best team in the AFC. And, and when you have Patrick Mahomes and the defense can perform somewhat well, like I said in the last episode, Patrick Mahomes is kind of counting on progressing, I guess, to his mean, elevating his performance in the defense, maybe regressing a little bit. But if you have him, I think you can do anything. And Elliot demonstrated a really good point about the importance of a first round buy. Just looking at probabilities, these are 538. The Chiefs actually have a higher chance to win the Super Bowl, 21%. Titans are at 12%. But if you look at making the conference championship, the Chiefs have a 60% chance, whereas the Titans have a 67% chance. And that probably also factors in that if the Chiefs win and the Bills win, the Chiefs would have to play the Bills. And then the Titans would probably play the Raiders or the Bengals. So it's a much easier matchup, which is also a factor of getting the number one seed in the bye. So I think it's a, it's a pretty sound pick either way. And then I guess now since we're doing snake draft, I'll pick again, fourth pick, deciding between the Buccaneers and the Bills. But I think I will take the Buccaneers because of the easier path. It makes sense. While the Bill, they're both maybe a little similar in strength and the Buccaneers might be missing a few players. The Bills have to go through the Patriots. That's much harder than playing the Eagles. And if they win, they'd probably have to play the Chiefs. They're pretty comparable, I think, in terms of strength, quarterback situation, both very good quarterbacks. But I think because of the ease of the path, I'm going to take the Buccaneers. And then, yeah, Elliot with the fifth pick. I think the fifth is where it starts getting tricky. I think the first four Titans, Chiefs, Packers, Buccaneers are all pretty solid picks to make it to the second round. I doubt the Steelers or Eagles will pull the win. But here, I think it's really get to a place where you can't guarantee that anybody's going to make it through. Personally, I'm going to take the Bills. I think they actually have a pretty good chance. If they get past the Patriots, I think they have a pretty good chance of winning it all. It's definitely going to be a tough game, as Shiv mentioned, slugging it out against the Patriots. I think there's a better chance than not that they pull out the win. Um, and if they do, I think that they're well positioned for a pretty deep run. The other team I would be considering would be the Bengals given that they actually have, I believe, the next largest spread after the teams that have been picked um, in terms of the first-round matchup. Um, but I just don't see them going as far as the Bills. And I think the Raiders are going to possibly be an unexpectedly tough opponent. I'm just coming in hot after after winning four games straight. Uh, okay, I think I'm going to go Bengals. I've been high on them since last pod. Um, I think that – oh, sorry, that's my dog in the background. I've been high on them since last pod. I think they steamroll the Raiders. And I think that if that happens, they'll probably end up playing the Titans. 
I, I think that the Bills will win, and I think the Bengals will win. So I think that the Bengals will end up playing the Titans. And I actually think that the Bengals have a better shot of beating the Titans than the Bills do of beating the Chiefs. So I would go Bengals there. That's a good pick. And then I guess you go again. Oh, yeah, I guess I do. Oh, that's huge. Okay, so this one's a little bit more difficult. I guess I'm going on the NFC side now. I'm deciding between the Rams and the 49ers. I think the 49ers have a better ceiling, but I think the Rams have a better – sorry, I think that the Rams (laughs) – sorry. Yeah, I think I'll end up taking the 49ers because – actually, scratch that. I'm going to take the Rams. I think that the Rams have a chance to win the whole thing. I think they can beat the Cardinals. I think they will beat the Cardinals. And I think that they'll probably end up then playing the Bucks actually instead of the Packers because I think the 49ers will win. So I think that the Rams and Packers meet in the NFC Championship game. So I'll go next. Um, I think I'm going to take the Cowboys. I pick against my homer team, but I have, I have my reasons. Um, as I mentioned before, I think the game really could go either way. It depends on Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's also a bit of emotional hedging against the Niners. If they lose, I'll be sad, but at least they get a couple points. But what Shiv mentioned earlier about who you're playing in the second round based on seeding, I think is actually really key. One of the reasons that I would rather pick the Cowboys over the 49ers is that if the Cowboys win, then they play the Bucks. If the 49ers win, then they play the Packers. And I think the Packers are the best team in the NFL, and I would really love to avoid playing them, uh, having a team that I picked play them in the second round. So because of that, I'm going to have to go against the Niners um, and also like the Cowboys. Yeah, I guess now I'm deciding between the Patriots and should you pick the Rams, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm deciding between Patriots and Cardinals. Well, I guess I don't have to decide because I have the next two picks. So you still have the 49ers also, I think. There. Mm, good point. Uh, now you're making me think, no, I'm going to take the Patriots and the Cardinals. I think Patriots... In no particular order, I don't know if any one of these teams. I think 530 yeah, has the Patriots higher, slightly. They're both 30% chances to win their wild card games, and then they have the Patriots as a little bit of a stronger team. Patriots have beaten the Bills once this year, so have the Cardinals have also beaten the Rams. Yeah, that if the Patriots win, then the Chiefs would probably likely win. So that means the Patriots, as they reshuffle the seeds, would then play the Titans. So possibly a good matchup, a better matchup than playing the Chiefs. So yeah, Patriots and then also the Cardinals were really, really good. They, they're kind of a, more, a well-balanced team, somewhat on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, so they can have different avenues to victory. So Patriots and Cardinals with my last two picks. That's crazy. I think I would have picked the 49ers over all three of your guys' last picks. I, I was deciding between the 49ers and the Rams for like four picks ago. I think the 49ers have a very decent shot of going to the Super Bowl, which really? I don't you're know. more confident than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. I just like, I can't get the image of Jimmy Garoppolo just absolutely torching the Rams defense on that last drive out of my head. I mean, Debo is one of the best weapons in the NFL right now. I think if Kittle is healthy, he's also like one of the best weapons. I think Shanahan will just be absolutely chefing in the playoffs. So uh, I'm hoping that they don't beat the Packers for points wise. But uh, I think that'd make a, a really interesting playoff. Yeah, I hope you're right, Shiv. But unfortunately, with my next pick, I'm going to have to uh, not go for the Niners. I'm actually going to go for the Raiders. 
the reason for that is I think the Niners, without a doubt, I think they're higher expected value in terms of the points that they're going to score. But I want my collection of draft pick teams to be kind of high variance. So I want all my teams to have passed through the playoffs where they don't hit each other until as late as possible because that maximizes the maximum amount of points I can score. So because of that, I'm going to pick the Raiders because it gives me a clean picture on the AFC side with Bills, Titans, Raiders all being able to make it through a round before they hit each other. And I actually am a little higher on the Raiders than the rest of you. Shiv, I know you mentioned you thought that Raiders-Bengals would be a blowout. I think it definitely could be. We could see Joe Burrow go for 400, 500 again. But at the same time, I think the Raiders are just an underrated team. They've kind of in the background, they've been winning multiple in a row. I could see them definitely putting up a show against the Bengals um, and even possibly winning. I love the the draft optimization strategy. Yeah, picking different teams. I guess uh, that leaves me with the 49ers. I have no intention of picking either the Eagles or the Steelers. And I, yeah, like I said before, I think that the 49ers actually are one of the bigger dark horses to win the whole thing. So yeah, now that we've kind of drafted our team, I think one last thing we can do, so we did last episode is pick a Super Bowl matchup and a Super Bowl winner. We've kind of talked about a lot of things already, so this can be a little bit quicker. But yeah, so for me, I guess my Super Bowl matchup right now, I think back when I said it, I said Chiefs, Cardinals, that's not looking great Cardinals-wise right now because they kind of fell off. A reason I picked them was because they had the bye. And then I kind of rephrased my statement, whoever had that bye would pick, and I will stand by that. Chiefs, Packers, and the Super Bowl. And I'm going to pick the Packers. If it were in that Super Bowl, I would favor the Chiefs. But I'm going to pick the Packers to cover bases because I think the Chiefs could lose earlier than the Packers because playing the first round, playing the Bills. So covering bases, Chiefs, Packers, picking the Packers. I'm going to go with the same pick that I made a couple of weeks ago, which is Packers over Titans. Again, I'm a huge proponent of just statistically the impact that that first round by has on making it through. I agree with you that Titans probably not the best team in the AFC, but I think especially if Derrick Henry comes back, they're good enough to be a threat to any team. Um, with the bye, they have a, they have a good chance of, of making it all the way through. Um, and then the Packers, I think, are just the best team in the NFL. Um, I think it's going to be a, a pretty easy path for them at the end of the day. Are you, uh, you picking Packers to win? Yeah, Packers. Okay, I might be on a, uh, a similar path to both of you guys. Elliot, that pick from uh, earlier is looking really good right now. I'm going to go Packers, Chiefs, but I think I'm going to go Chiefs over Packers in the Super Bowl. I think that the Chiefs offensively just have way more going for them. And honestly, defensively, I think they're just a more much more talented team. They make many more mistakes than the Packers do, but I think – the Super Bowl is going to be lights are shining. Who can make the plays? And I think the only caveat to the Chiefs making it to the Super Bowl and winning would be if right now Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are both a little banged up. If they can hopefully get a quick win over the Steelers and rest up for a little bit, I think that they can run through the rest of the AFC and beat the Packers. But yeah, I think that should wrap up our episode. I think we had a pretty interesting discussion about the end of the NFL regular season, particularly that really dramatic week 18, first week 18 in NFL history. Then we talked about our predictions for some of the postseason player awards and players who deserve recognition. 
and then we previewed the wild card matchups and finally made our survivor pool draft selections and just to recap our selections for our next episode i selected with my four picks the chiefs the buccaneers the patriots and the cardinals shiv selected the packers Bengals, rams and 49ers and elliot selected the titans bills cowboys and raiders so we'll revisit these predictions in a super bowl preview episode in which we recap the earlier rounds of the playoffs and preview the super bowl so stay on the lookout for that and yeah in the meantime enjoy the first couple weeks of the nfl playoffs thanks and a reminder that you can always check out uh, all our articles check out shiv and elliot's articles on our website at harvardsportsanalysis.org and follow us on twitter at harvard underscore sports thanks for listening